That was a lot of pink and red. What? What do you want? She had to stop him. That was one sentence. If you have not had a conversation with Nathaniel James, you need to. Uh, even if you don't know what he's saying, it's awesome. I'm, I'm, I can interpret now. I, I, I'm getting it. Uh, it's because it's hilarious. Yeah, you have got a, got a, got a lot on your plate. <laughs> oh, Merry Christmas. Um, thank you for showing up today. I wanted to start by saying. At every time you make it to church, it is a sacrifice, and it is one way you give back to God. There are many ways we give back to God. We talk about <laughs> financial gifts. We talk about uh, service. But don't forget, just showing up is a gift, and it's, it's your gift to God. Not to me, not to the—and it can be to the people around you. Your presence is important, but— as I drive to work, as I drive to church early in the morning, uh, the roads are not that full. They're not as full this morning as they were yesterday at about 3 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? Where are all those people? Well, they're not at TJ Maxx right now. They were yesterday. Man, that place was a zoo. And I can't believe all the junk people buy. Wow. Just tables and tables of Christmasy things, and, uh, and then it's gone. The next day, I had to go back and get something. And everything that was there the previous day that I didn't want, I suddenly thought, maybe I missed something. <laughs> but where are all the people? Uh, you know that, right? What? Church, steeple, people. No, yeah, this, but that's, that's most people. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors. This is why I was taught it. Where's all the people? Close the doors to let them pray. Behold the people of God today. Like, yeah, we do have to part ways, but thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Uh, we're going to have a candlelight service at four o'clock we're doing it earlier than usual this year to uh, give a lot of the sophisticated families that open presents on christmas eve give them plenty of time to go home and and prepare meals and be together and, and travel and there's there's a lot going on so four o'clock tonight do i have a guest reader today today as she reads i'll be lighting the fourth Advent candle, the candle of peace. Hello. Today is the fourth Sunday of the Advent season. Today we light four candles. This candle is called the angel's candle and emphasizes peace. The Gospel of Luke records the angels as the first to celebrate the birth of the Savior. 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those who he favors. Peace. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? Quiet, calmness, everybody getting along, harmony. The long-held picture of the beautiful Virgin Mary having given birth to a son in a stable or cave, laying him in a clean manger wrapped in cloths. Shepherds quietly kneeling in awe and wonder. Joseph silently standing by. Someone singing Silent Night in multiple part harmony. It's the picture we all want. Serenity, peace, quiet, love, security. We want our world to be peaceful. We want our families to be peaceful. We want to fe feel filled with peace. But is this the peace of the Bible? <clears throat> Tim Keller, author of Hidden Christmas, says, Peace in the Bible does not mean a general peacefulness with prosperity and a trouble-free life. Peace is the end of en enmity and warfare. Our enmity is with God. Our sinful nature wants us to believe we have all authority over our lives and our life decisions. Think of it in terms of a king and his rebellious, guilty subjects. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we are brought into peace with God. Jesus reconciles us to God as our Father, that we may share in his peace. He brings us into God's family and restores us to himself. Christmas Eve, arguably one of the most looked forward to days of the year. Tonight, we'll have dinners and presents and family gather around. But tonight, the world will still be at war in places we have never even been. People will suffer atrocities we can only imagine. People will die of incurable illnesses, Addicts will succumb to their demons. Many of us will grieve the loss of loved ones or worry about those we love who are suffering. Where's the peace in that day? True peace, our peace, is in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reassured because Christ came so that we could have peace. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. What a wonderful message, what a wonderful Savior, and what a wonderful Christmas Eve. Take peace because Jesus has overcome the world. When Jesus says that, he has overcome the world. It didn't look like it. Think about it. Think about what his disciples, his followers saw when Jesus was saying that and shortly after he died. Did it look like he was winning? Did it look like he was winning? Did it look like he was overcoming the world? Nope. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 as we have a Who's my reader this morning? Oh, Belinda, not Isaiah 9. Where, where did I say? Luke 2. I'm getting my references confused. Anthony already did Isaiah 9. That's one of my favorite all time. I, ooh, Isaiah 9 is good. Belinda's reading this morning from Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. The Christmas story. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round, around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So chapter 2, verse 14 of Mark, the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. It could be peace and goodwill to, to humanity or the word mankind. My translation says peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And I have to remind you this morning, if you want peace, you have to get it in this order. Number one, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. And then you can experience on earth as a human, as part of mankind, peace. But it only comes to those with whom he is well pleased. With whom he is not pleased just with, but pleased to dwell with. That speaks of the presence of God, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That an infinite, almighty, all-holy God would experience incarnation that there would be a miraculous, hypostatic union of humanity and divinity united in Jesus Christ. The Son of Mary, but the Son of God. It is beyond thorough theological explanation. It is a miraculous gift from God to us that God would dwell with us, but that's what he said he would do. That is his very name, Emmanuel, God with us, and with us in a new, mysterious way. Welcome, Jesus. Peace. The apostles who wrote out the New Testament letters, they speak a lot about peace. They also speak a lot about hope and faith and joy but how do we reconcile some of the hard teachings of scripture i want you to turn with me to matthew chapter 10 and matthew chapter 10 verse 34 if you've been doing any kind of advent reading this comes up pretty often in a lot of advent reading because you have to deal with this this is 
gritty. And that's, that's one of the things I like about Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And somewhere there's an angel going like, What? <laughs> well, maybe not. Can you imagine being the angel who said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. This baby's bringing peace. And then the baby grows up and says, um, I'm not bringing peace. I'm bringing a sword. Matthew 10, 34, I have not come to bring peace. What? Jesus is bringing the heat. Jesus is not a pushover here to do what you want Jesus is not some kind of genie to fulfill your wishes to grant you your heart's desire Jesus is on a mission let, let me read to you the fuller context of of this Matthew 10 passage Matthew 10 I'm going to read 34 through 39 it's a paragraph Jesus says do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth I've not come to bring peace but a sword for i have come to set a man against his father a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is presenting himself as a sword that cuts us off from everything that does not glorify God. Jesus is coming into your life to be a sword, to cut off, to whack off everything in you, everything around you, everything you have affections for that do not glorify God and the highest. Next slide, please. He's a sword. He's divisive. That's what he does. He cuts to the truth. Jesus is full of grace, absolutely. God's riches of mercy and forgiveness of things we don't deserve. But he's not neutral. He doesn't forgive us so we can then go do whatever we want. He doesn't cleanse us so we can just be white and have a, a redo, a restart, a do-over, because we would just do the same old things. We would pursue sin and self and become reckless sinners yet again. Jesus forgives us so that we would glorify God in the highest, comma, and then experience peace, because then we will be the people who please Him. It is a very specific order. He comes to bring a sword. The world is at enmity with God. The world is at war with God. God hates sin. 
What does Jesus really go to war with? It's not you. Jesus is not at war with you. Jesus went to war and continues to go to war against death, hell, and the Satan. Satan is not a name. Devil is not a name. It is a descriptive word. It is an adjective. He is the accuser. He is the evil one. We don't ever get the name of the Satan. We just get told who he is. Accuser. Liar. False. The father of lies. Jesus goes to war with death, hell, and the Satan so that he can offer you himself. And get this, this is important. Jesus doesn't just offer you eternal peace. He offers you himself. That includes eternal peace. But peace is not, it's not just a gift. I give you peace. No, no, no. He gives you himself. So any time in our lives when we feel like we, we just don't have peace, uh, I'm here to tell you, it's not because you are lacking peace. It's because you are lacking the presence of God and your practical reality. You're lacking the presence of God at the forefront of your mind. You are lacking communion with God with tears and grieving. You are lacking time with God through Bible study and prayer and fellowship. You are lacking service to God through your neighbors, through your family, through the world. You're not lacking peace. You're lacking God himself. Because to have God is to have peace. It is part of who he is. Jesus Christ is our peace. He's our hope. He's our faith. He's our joy. He is our peace. That's what the candles represent. He is the light of the world. No matter how dark it gets in this room, he gives you a light to look at. No matter how dark it gets in your life, He gives you something to look at that is beyond you, that is outside of you, that helps you. Because, boy, are there a lot of blinding suffering. There's a lot of blinding going on in our lives. There's a lot of need. And it blinds us. It distracts us. To look beyond that is what Jesus is asking for. He's not not here to remove all the blindness. He's asking you to look beyond it. Look beyond it. Focus on something besides what is right in front of you. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm seeing your faces, though this is closest to me. That's your life. You, You just get preoccupied with the people and the things and the works and the jobs and the tasks and the health. Look beyond it. Do this with me. Put your hand up. Put your hand in front of your face. You can still see. You can still see farther. Now, don't cover your eyes. That's not what I'm saying. But even then, it can can be even closer. But you can still see. But you have to choose what you are focusing on. You have to choose. And, And after a while, your brain gets used to it. Your eyes start focusing differently. You start seeing holes. I start to see holes in my hand. Like I'm shifting from one eye to the other. It, we adapt. We change by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He can teach you to see beyond your life when you are looking for Jesus Christ. He can teach you to see peace when everybody else around you is like, what are you doing? What about this? Peace. Calm. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. Not the main thing. Not the tiny thing, the main thing. The eternal thing, the main thing. The king of kings, the main thing. The prince of peace, the main thing. The eternal, almighty, everlasting, wonderful counselor, the main thing. Matthew 10, verse 38. Jesus doesn't just want, he doesn't say, You have to forsake everybody. Actually, verse 37. But man, does he cut to the heart. It's easy to love your family and hate your enemies. In verse 37, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And you may insert any relationship in your life between you and another human being. Whoever loves anyone on planet earth more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus. And in verse 38, he takes it one step farther. Because your problem is not even loving other people. When you love other people, you are just loving yourself. He knows that. We love those who love us back. We love those who give us comfort. We love those that we feel the closest to, who make us feel the closest. We love other people because we actually love ourselves. That's how it rolls. We love those. And and even if we love them and they don't love us back, we love them because we want them to love us back. We have have a purpose and a meaning to so much of our love. It's, It's to be loved. We love in order to be loved. We love in order to be accepted. And Jesus, he's put his finger on it. Boom. But then he pulls out the big sword in verse 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So verse 38 is Jesus calling you to self-denial. Self-denial so that you can live for him. Self-denial because you cannot find peace on your own. You cannot find peace in your own heart. You cannot find peace with your own logic, with your own self-sacrifice. You are designed to give God glory. So symbolically, Jesus is calling you to fall on the sword. That's what the cross represents. To take up your cross is to take up an implement of self-execution which is kind of ridiculous because you could not crucify yourself. That, that was impossible. Somebody else had to drive the stakes into your hands and into your feet and then erect you. That, that was, you, you could not literally do what Jesus says to do, except maybe pick up the wood like we see some people do, roll down the road. As an outward reminder of what needs to be happening inwardly. But inwardly, to take up your cross is to kill yourself. 
symbolically, to see yourself as crucified and dead to your desires, to your wants, to your needs. This is the language of Jesus here. And he's digging deep because he's talking about what it should look like for you to love him. To love him is to deny self. To love him, it will make your love for everyone else look like hatred. That's another way he phrases it. Doesn't mean you actually hate your family. No, that would be a contradiction of the rest of his teachings about loving your enemies, loving one another, loving one another as he loves them. How does Jesus love you? He loves you one step below the way he loves God the Father. How do you love anybody else? One step below the way you love Jesus Christ. He's not just preaching to the choir. He's preaching to, he's telling you how he lives. How is he able to not get absorbed with everybody daily coming into his face, showing their needs, showing their needs, asking him tricky questions, trying to, trying to deceive him, trying to preoccupy him? What does he see? The Father, his love for the Father, his love for the Father. And anytime the Father says, heal, feed, he does it. He's not listening to the needs around him. Jesus didn't heal everybody, resurrect everybody. He did not help everybody. He only helped the people that God the Father said help. It was a lot. He laid his life down for other people, symbolically, every day, walking, talking, but then, for real, on the cross, right? To provide peace. But it's a calling to self-denial for us. And that, that right there is what makes Jesus divisive. That's what makes him a sword. He's calling you to stop loving yourself so that you can love him. That's the real problem all of us have. We miss out on his peace when we get focused on ourselves. Verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it Whoever loses his life for my sake <clears throat> will find it. Wow. Are you willing to give up your control of your life to gain a new life? Are you willing to give up your control of your life to gain a new life? Jesus opens this passage in Matthew 10 with division. <clears throat> I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. <clears throat> in verse 37, he shows that the division is actually the sword is himself. Anyone who loves anyone else more than me, he's the cause of the division. And in verse 38, the division goes deeper than your relationship with other people. It's your relationship with yourself, your own consciousness, your own self-love. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. In verse 39, he caps off this little teaching with a paradox. Something that 
will not make sense until you do it. It'll never make sense. You can't analyze this. You can't put this in a laboratory. You can't scientifically put this together on paper and show anybody how this makes sense. The only way this, this last verse ever makes sense is if you do it. And even if you try to explain it to the person closest to you, they're not going to get it unless they do it. It might sound good. It might look good because you're different. You, you have a new outlook on life. It might look really good, but they're not going to really get it. It's a spiritual truth about God that changes somebody forever, but not everybody, only those with whom he is well pleased because that's how we glorify him. What does he say? Whoever finds his life will lose it. That doesn't make sense. You mean if I find my life in this world, find my place, figure out where I belong, find the right job, find the right spouse, have the right family, do the right thing. If, if, I, if I just work really hard and, and I prosper, if I find my place in this world, and Jesus says, you're going to lose it. I don't care if you gain the whole world, you'll lose your soul. What does it profit anyone to gain the whole world? if they're going to lose their soul. So Jesus says, lay down your life, qualifier, for my sake, for my name, for me. Lord Jesus, I surrender all, all to you. I freely give to love, to trust, trust you God that's the sacrifice close your eyes for just a second this is not the end but I want you to hear this prayer just listen to these words Lord Jesus bring the sword of truth down with a death blow on my selfishness on my anger on my lust on my pride I have spent so much of my life determining for myself who I am and who I want to be. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I want to live for you by faith. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you were buried and rose again from the grave and that you now sit in heaven at the right hand of God. I believe you are coming back to fix everything. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen. Ah, this morning I do not pray for any of you to have peace. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I pray for you to have Jesus. Any kind of peace that you can achieve on your own through circumstances or presence or the right people showing up for dinner and the right people not coming to dinner. Any kind of peace you can achieve over the next few days through circumstances, it's empty. It's gone. It's fleeting. I pray that you would have more of Jesus Christ. 
that's the kind of prayer that brings peace because that's the kind of prayer that asks Jesus to be bigger, that asks Jesus to be present, that asks Jesus to purify and sanctify and fix me, fix me. What do you want for Christmas? Jesus. And now I don't want him for Christmas. Boy, I need him the day after Christmas and the day after that and January 1st and January 15th and February and March. I need Jesus. That, that's the hunger and thirst for righteousness that we need to cultivate and foster in our own spiritual lives. You need more of him. I know you do. I know way too much about way too many of you. You need Jesus to be bigger, to be brighter. So we started with Luke 2. Were those angels wrong? <laughs> Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. And then Jesus says, uh, time out, not bringing peace, bringing a sword. Uh, no, I don't think they were wrong. So what's going on? They were specific. Who will bring the highest glory to God? The glory to God and the highest. Jesus will. Write that down. Who will bring the highest glory to God? Glory to God and the highest. The angels are not celebrating over Mary and Joseph. They're celebrating the baby. This kid is the bomb. He will bring glory to God and the highest. And peace. But not the way you want it. Peace will come to those with whom God is well pleased. Let's work that backwards for just a second. How do you please God? The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to please God, one must believe that he is who he says he is. That he will do what he says he will do, like Abraham. That's the faith that justifies you that takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on you. When you believe Jesus is who God says he is, God takes Jesus' righteousness, glory to God in the highest, boom, and he puts it on you. You can now bring glory to God in the highest, and then you please God, and then you can have the peace of God. And the peace of God, remember, it's not right here, it's out there. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's invisible. It gives you a peace that surpasses all understanding, no matter what circumstance you are in, no matter what diagnosis you get, no matter who you lose in the next year. Peace with God means you are at peace with your God, and He is at peace with you. So often that peace thing, it's so subjective to me. I need peace. I need peace. When the Bible talks about peace, God reconciled the world to himself. Peace with God is what we need. Those united to Jesus by faith, who will bring the highest glory to God? Jesus will. But then who pleases God? Those united to Jesus by faith. Believers agree with God. Believers fight against their own selfish loves. Believers fight against their own desires until they die. 
those without faith are stuck with God's wrath abiding on them still. Those with faith have had God himself remove his wrath and place it on his son in our stead. Before you can have peace with God, you need to come to the cross of Jesus. And if you are lacking peace in any area of your life this morning, you still need to bring your faith to the cross over and over and over again. Church crowd, I know it, but I still have to ask this. In the light of what Jesus has said in Matthew 10, taking up his cross, losing their life, with that as the context, I want to ask, do you actually love Jesus? I'm not, I'm not questioning your faith right now. I'm leading you to look inwardly at the way you love God and the way you love everything else and evaluate. Is there a qualitative difference between how I am showing God that I love Him and how I'm showing everybody else love? Am I poor? Do I have this backwards? Am I spending more money on myself and my loved ones at Christmas than I am on Jesus? Am I spending more time, more energy, more of my heart on other people and they're letting me down? No wonder you don't have peace. Or am I making a conscious spiritual effort to spend time with him? You know it. You know when someone says they love you and gives you the cold shoulder, you know when they don't mean it. You know when they don't show up what they really love. You know it. And so as, as, as a church people, it's so easy to say we love God and not show up. So easy to say we love God, but not pour anything into that, not back it up. Pure and undefiled religion is what? Taking care of really needy widows and orphans. Did you do any of that this Christmas? That's how you give a gift to God, by the way. You help other people. He doesn't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. It needs your heart need your service we are supposed to be the light of the world now remember that like he's he's the christ candle for sure but he wants to light you up he wants you to shine so i started the service by thanking you for your sacrifice of presence this is a sacrifice to god to be here and put up with me is a sacrifice and I appreciate that. Do you love him? Maybe you need a sword this morning to cut away all that is killing you, all that is wearying you, all that is stressing you out. It doesn't mean we have to throw out everything in our lives that stresses us, but we need to surrender those things because peace is a byproduct of love. Write this down. Peace, biblical peace. P 
peace from the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. Peace is a byproduct of love. So don't divorce the two. You cannot have peace without love for God. And consequently, the more you learn to love God, the more of His peace you will experience. It, peace is not just a fraction of who God is that He gives to you here and there. It is who He is. The Bible could easily, it, say, it says God is love. He's also our hope, our joy, our faith, our peace. Everlasting Father, He's our wonderful counselor. Prince of Peace. The Bible says that about Jesus. He has the peace that you need. And He's not just wanting to you know, fling it out of heaven and you go find it. <laughs> it's not, he doesn't treat you like a dog. <laughs> go get it. And you're like, yeah, no. He brings it to you. He hands it to you. But He's not handing you peace even. He's, hand, he's handing you Himself. Spend time with me. Peter, do you love me? Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. You want to find me, Peter? I'm about to leave. You know where I'll be? Feed my sheep. I will be with my people. We can find peace as we love and serve one another and love Jesus. So this morning, I'm not here to offer you peace. I'm offering you the cross yet again. So take up your cross of self-denial, of self-debasement, self-humbling. Last blank. Spend more time at the cross this next year than at the manger. The manger is a beautiful scene of God sending His Son. But the cross is a more beautiful scene of God accepting the sacrifice of His Son. We do, not, we do not look to a crucifix with an image of Jesus on the cross. He's not there anymore. He made one sacrifice for sins, and he's done. The cross we look towards is empty, signaling new life and hope. And also that cross is not just a memory of what he did, but a memory of what we do. Now we take up that cross. If you wear a cross, every time you pick it up, I want you to remember Self-denial, self-denial, self-denial. It's empty because Jesus has won the, won the battle. And that cross for you is a, remem a remembrance. Self-denial, taking up my cross. It, that, that's not what he means to wear or take up a cross. He means to deny self, to put others first, and to look for where God is at work and join him. He's still working. He's still reigning. And is there when you find God at work in your life and around the people you interact with that you will find peace. So stand with me this morning. Trust Jesus to really be enough. In all of your busyness and all of your relaxation over the next few days, you've got some time off, you've got some little people to love on. Uh, let me encourage you. Be thankful. Be patient, be kind. Remember one another. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ.
Christ. He does not simply give us hope. He does not simply give us faith or joy or peace or love or any other answers. Thank you, God, that Jesus is our hope and our faith and our joy. Thank you, God, that Jesus is our peace. And every single time that we feel stressed out and frazzled and thin and anxious and angry and tempted, help us to come back to the cross to say no to these human desires that rise up and block our view of who you are and block our view of what you really want. Help us to deny ourselves so we can find more of Jesus right in the middle of our pain, right in the middle of our suffering, right in the middle of our humiliation, in the middle of our sin. Teach us to confess and find peace instantly as we repent, as we turn away from the sins that so easily entangle us. We need Jesus to be greater in us than everything in the world. So our prayer this morning, God, is that this Christmas you would help us in some way, shape, or form to spend more time with you and remember you through every meal, through every sweet thing that crosses our lips, through every little kid that sits on our lap. Help us to see you in all things, that we would praise you in all things, that we would glorify you in the highest, and then experience your peace because we know you are pleased with us. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come.
from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Merry Christmas, and you are dismissed.